Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Uh, yeah, there we go. You've started recording. Red light's rolling. I'm joined today by Miles Watkins. Miles, thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Really appreciate you coming along. No problem. Looking forward to the conversation, yeah. sir. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the listeners, I um, I caught up with Miles. It was at the British Aggregate Association uh, annual conference. And uh, Miles was a guest speaker and was talking about sustainability and um to be honest, as far as my level of experience goes, stuff that I have no understanding of at all. So sort of in true podcast fashion, I thought I need to learn a bit more about this. And so do the listeners. It'd be fantastic to get them in. So, um, you know, I thought it'd be a fantastic opportunity to have a chat with you, Miles, and bring you on. So I approached you and you were kindly and gracious enough to uh, give us a bit of time uh, to sort of talk through some stuff around sustainability and to raise awareness as as part of the prep, I let Miles know that, largely speaking, the listenership is like transport managers, business owners, small to medium operators, which largely matches the, the customer base for my business flagship partners. And, uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you on, Miles. So um, just if you're able to just take a minute, mate, and just sort of explain, I know I've sort of given a bit of an introduction to sort of my perception of, 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 of you, Miles, but also are you able to just sort of explain who you are, what you do, and the sort of companies you work with and the things you do for them? Is that okay? That is absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, basically I am a sustainability professional, um, but I've worked in a whole different range of, of management areas. Essentially, I started my career as a, um, as a graduate trainee in the aggregates sector. So uh, the rock breaking guys, right? Taking big rocks and smashing them into small rocks and um, routinely sticking them back together again as concrete and asphalt. So I worked for Aggregate Industries um, as a graduate. Uh, uh, and then um, over the 17 years I was there, I actually went through to the executive committee um, so as part of the executive team and I looked after all, well, I looked after all the things that no one else wanted to look after. That's how I described that role, but I, I obviously led sustainability, but also safety. Um, I did land and minerals planning, marketing, comms, all that kind of stuff. So that was handy because what it let me do was to really position the business on issues properly. Um, and so we were trying to differentiate based on sustainability at the time. So we we're making investments in biodiversity and low carbon technology and all this kind of stuff. So we because I ran the comm side as well, enabled me to pull all that together and position the business. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then I went to work for building research establishment, which um, probably doesn't uh, bump into the haulage sector too often, but it is the predominant research and training organisation in the built environment. It's been, you know, been going for 100 years. And I was commercial director there for, for about five years. So so I've, I've, um, I've worked in that area too. So that was really about commercialising sustainability in, in the technical sense. That was quite fun around the innovation park and I looked after the businesses in America and China uh, and um, and a whole lot of other bits and pieces. So that was quite entertaining. And since then, really, I've worked, I sort of worked for myself um, doing interim bits and pieces. I've worked a little bit in modern methods of construction. 
So that's largely a sustainability led piece. So looking at building buildings using preformed panels and elements to have less mess on site, less waste in the delivery, fewer people, better safety record, that kind of stuff. So so that was quite relevant. Um, and more latterly, I've I've been doing direct consulting. So I, I do work in the in the quarrying industry still because frankly I just love it. And I'm sure that some listeners will be rolling their eyes going, well, how can you be a sustainability professional and work in almost an entirely linear sector? Well, I put it back to them and say, well, that's the challenge, isn't it? You know, the challenge is to square the circle of difficulty in, the, in these difficult sectors. Another classic being haulage. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so I do a bit. I do a fair bit of um, consulting in heavy building materials. I, do, I, I work a bit with the professional body, the Institute of Quarrying, uh, because I was previously its uh, chairman and president during its centennial year and my, my real passion is around low carbon and circularity which we'll get into forever in the conversation so i also have two startup businesses so one called stuff for life you see the logo behind me that's about polyester recycling because of course everyone thinks plastic is bad um reality is plastic is incredibly helpful and if you stopped it lots of things wouldn't happen just look around you look at your you know the pods in your ears go to a medical theater look at the use of plastic you know look all over the place right it's it's it enables many it's things a useful material yeah absolutely I, I understatement would be useful material absolutely right but mm. if you use it once it's not very good and if you put it in the wrong place it's not very good so my business partner and i have a passion about perpetual recycling of of of, uh, of plastic breaking it back to its constituent materials and then reforming it into whatever yeah that particular yeah. business is around clothes workwear so again your uh your fellowship will we have uh, many uh, high-vis vests in there in the environment. I'm yeah, sure. and, that's how that, and that's how that started. So my business partner and I, he was in waste, I was in construction, and we thought, what happens to all the high-vis vests? Well, what happens to them is they go in the bin and they get burned. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, so we're breaking them down and, and looking at reforming the plastic. So I've got that one. And then also I've got a, um, a circular economy business in minerals. So we're looking at using technology that basically disintegrates concrete, sequesters CO2, and then releases the aggregates back into um, the built environment. So I, that was probably a bit a bit rambly, um, but at least it gives a bit of an idea of um, the sort of bloke that, <laughs> that Watkins a, is. A, a busy bloke by the sounds of it. <laughs> Well, one must eat. You know, that's quite important. You know, one of the cornerstones of sustainability and indeed part of the UN sustainability goals is avoiding poverty. Right. So, you know, hard work generally is the connection between uh, uh, that and, and eating, really. So um, in all seriousness, I, I do like to be busy. I, I, I like to do um, progressive things. I'm not even though I have a PhD. I'm not a largely academic, um, you know, and in my LinkedIn profile, it says, you know, practical solutions and that's what all it's really about and you know whether it's the haulage industry or the aggregates industry you know we can kick it around all day long but ultimately someone needs to do something and it's identifying what that is and getting it done leads to the progress and, and for me that's that's where the rubber hits the road to overuse a <laughs> I love that. It's, it's like you've listened. It's like you've listened to one of my podcasts before because that's one of my favourites. <laughs> when the rubber hits the road, I love it. It's one of my faves. Um, okay, excellent. Sorry. <laughs> so um, during the podcast, I prepped Miles with a just so people sort of know what to expect where the conversation's heading. I've just pulled up in the background the email that I sent over because I had a look at the presentation that Miles had done for the 
the British Aggregate Association. And there's there's some bit, bits in there about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So we're going to have a bit of a talk about those and then look at carbon emissions in the transport sector. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Zet Nero, net, net, Nero, net Zero Highways uh, and plans from the national highways and some viable alternatives as well around uh, the traditional type combustion engines for, for HGVs, as well as sort of fl how fleet operators can be uh, sort of more sustainable. So, um, sort of kick it off. Those sustainability goals that you led with on the on the uh, the uh, British Aggregate Association uh, conference discussion. What what are those sustainability goals? Because that, that, it was a slide. It was very colourful. It was very interesting. There were lots of fantastic things there. I'm sure people can frantically go and. Google the UN sustainability goals and they'll they'll sort of pop up on Google for them. Um what 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 is that as a starting point, Miles? Well, I mean that's not bad advice to be honest. And um if you're listening to this, why not have a bit of a look? Because let's not go through all 17. I mean the general principle is the United Nations has been working on um prosperity, if you like, um across the world for a really long time. You know, it's obviously part of its core objectives. It held the first Earth Summit when I first went to university. 1992 um, and that was in Rio and that was sort of kicking off the realization that things needed to be done and, and a lot of sustainability on a global basis is around frankly inequality so there isn't equal access to things and as we sit here in Great Britain and go well what channel on the telly shall I watch and indeed what telly shall I buy you know somewhere between 50 and 90 inches and that kind of stuff you know some of this stuff just passes us by and, and maybe we remember Bob Geldof and Live Aid and all that kind of stuff but you know we live in quite a comfortable space but when you look at the world there are some fairly chunky problems and a lot of it is driven from greed and you know distortion and and and, and a whole lot of other stuff which means that there are a great number of people that don't have access to things like food and water and education and healthcare and all this sort of stuff. So that's the super big picture. Um, so over the course of time and through a bunch of summits and a lot of collaborative work, um, the UN basically teased out uh, these goals, which represent the things that need to be fixed or done or delivered to make the world a better place. So when you look at them, which you probably are, you look at them and go, well, that doesn't make any sense to me, but some of them do, right? So some of them do make sense to British industry, if you like. Um, so the stuff in there on responsible con uh, production and consumption and all that type of stuff. And, you know, there's a, there's a direct translation there into what you do as a business and gives you some something to think about. But equally, there's things in there that you're not going to touch. And that's because the world's a big and complicated place. But it's a UN-led thing. It was developed over about 20 years. And it's a comings together of all. It's almost like a list of things that are all broken. That need to be fixed to give people a chance. So that's helping the people with less up a bit and give them access to things and then stopping the people with everything ruining it for those other people that's broadly what it is and and one of the challenges for sustainability is it's often seen as a you know like a reductionist agenda stop this don't do that you know it's kind of hard work and and one of the things that i always try and do and, and so do the people that do what i do uh, do is to try and find the positives in it so you know if you just go around telling everyone that they can't do stuff that is not that's not a fun thing is it i mean no one likes to be told that kind of stuff that's a bit like health and safety gone mad <laughs> it is that, it? Yeah. yeah i mean it's much worse as well because other than keeping yourself alive which is not an unreasonable thing to do you're talking about someone you never met right so it's it's <laughs> it, it's um i mean when i first started in the rock breaking industry of course i was like this crazy left-wing lunatic but people sort of um looked at me and i was like well maybe but probably not um so there are some unhelpful narratives around sustainability that make it sound like 
we can't do stuff. And what we need to do is make it sound like we can do stuff and we do stuff differently and we try and make it interesting and exciting. Otherwise, the, the thing won't progress. We won't go anywhere. And I think, you know, one of your other questions in there was around well, how are things going? Well, on a global scale, of course, it wouldn't escape your attention that it is a bloody nightmare and an unwieldy disaster on lots of levels, um, which, of course, is all very depressing. And that's because man and lady people have done a really good job at, at, at creating that scenario and it's not been helped by recent things so as we sit here today you've got you know the war in ukraine has distorted trading and particularly energy which we've heard about quite a lot um climate change itself is driving you know some horrendous well, it's exacerbating drought and flood and fires and all this kind of stuff and then along comes covid19 which suddenly means that mobility has been massively restricted so if you were having a problem eating and drinking and being educated to start with and then now you can't go anywhere that is a monumental issue and of course without doubt it has it has affected every person on planet earth one way or the other and you don't need to be poor to have been affected really badly by it so all of these things come together and make it generally really 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 hard to do what are already really hard things so so that's sort of the backdrop but more importantly than that is frankly it just gives you a list of things to look at so you said peter right at the beginning i don't know much about this well that's for a start not true but companies don't need to invent things we can look at lists that clever people have thought about and gone and then you go well how does my business relate to this stuff and what can i do now and in the longer term to help that particular agenda in the knowledge that the generations that are coming behind me will probably feel better if i did something than didn't do something and it's very easy to make a very long list of reasons to do nothing but between us we've got to find some motivation to do something and if you've got lots of millions of people doing a little bit it adds up to quite a lot in a kind of tesco's kind of way every little yeah. helps um so as much as it's you know it, you know, and I, you know, I look at all the feeds coming through and LinkedIn and everything else, and I look at a lot of stuff that comes through from the sustainability professionals, and we have to be really careful, a bit like the thing about health and safety, that, you know, the whole doom mongering thing, it's important to a point because there are some massive crises going on. But what's important is, you know, what are the solutions? You know, how do we, how do we at least move things forward a little bit? And you know, no one has all the answers and no one can say, all oh, right, I can see a pathway right the way through to 2050. I can see all the things that I need to do. But they can't really, because you don't know what the world's going to be doing in five years time, let alone 25. But what you can do is to see the broad direction that you need to go in and be as strident as you can to try and to try and go there. And, and I think that's that's not unreasonable and it's not an unjustifiable thing to do, to be honest. So big, colourful chart. List of things that are wrong with the world that people can relate to. Some are more relevant than others. And it frankly stops you sitting in your chair going, where do I start and what do I do? Um, because someone's done a lot of thinking. Now your job is to do the doing. Fantastic. And I think um, I think that's a, so it's a really nice starting point for the conversation. And as you were speaking there, there's a few things that cropped into my head that I haven't even thought about in a while. So like, just sort of giving you an opportunity to have your, have your coffee and that whilst I sort of ramble for a moment. And that is... I find sustainability, particularly, obviously, I know the transport and the fleet sector because that's the, the sector I operate in, but it's quite emotive. I find it quite emotive and or people find it quite emotive. And there's a few things that I sort of raise there. And that is certainly when I look at social media and that kind of thing, um, Greta, Greta Thunberg, for example, people find her very emotive, um, but also 
I used to work for Volvo before I did what I do now. I work for Volvo Trucks. And there's quite a big thing in the UK around Euro 6 vehicles. And, you know, there's been this thing from Europe where they've pushed uh, vehicles to um, achieve, um, you know, certain levels of, uh, of the, the, you know, the, the emissions that they cause and, and that then creates the Euro 6. And then what happens is, is like those old vehicles, once they're kind of done for in the UK, they go to these workshops and they get the Euro 6 decommissioned back to like and taking all of the AdBlue pumps off and all the AdBlue systems and everything like that. And then they get shipped off and migrated off to Africa where they haven't got the technology to be able to maintain these um, complex AdBlue systems. And essentially, you've got this disparity in the playing field where you've got operators in the UK operating under really strict guidelines for safety and for the environment and those kinds of things. Add blue pubs, add blue systems, when they go wrong, are hugely expensive for sort of small, small to medium-sized businesses. For them to then know that once those vehicles then get exported, they're sort of downgraded again to then uh, go and sort of uh, pollute uh, somewhere else. So I have a lot of a, or I've been aware of a lot of, you know, the rhetoric around it's just unfair. It's really unfair. But I think at the same time, as a developed, uh, a developed country, I think my position is is that we have a responsibility to be able to lead the, you know, to lead the way uh, in what we're doing. And I think without that, then we can't pull other areas of the world along with us. I think is sort of, I guess, where I'm at. I don't really know if that's sort of the, the right frame of mind to be in, Mars. Well, I, th- I don't think it's unreasonable. I think um, successful nations have got some leadership responsibilities. I think you're absolutely right. Um, because if they don't do that, doesn't sound very good, does it? Well, I'm doing pretty well over here and I'm not too bothered about you lot over there. That's not really very sort of world spirited, is it? But equally, you know, within our own world, people do find this sort of stuff quite threatening. And, and you know, in your sector, right, you know, you, there will be without doubt a ton of small businesses are operating relatively small fleets and they'll be like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Are you telling me I can't operate a haulage business because I burn loads of fuel? And are you saying that I can't drive my trucks as far as I want to drive? I mean, all that sort of stuff. It boils down to very, you know, some quite threatening restrictions on this stuff. And I'm quite aware of that. And that's the whole point about trying to turn it into opportunities, which isn't that easy. I mean, let's not sit here and go, oh, it's super easy, right? Let's just, like, chase the gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, it's, it, it's stuff bloody hard, you know. Otherwise, it would have been done by now, frankly. And you're right. There are lots of perversions in this where you might argue that having a truck and getting as many miles out of that truck as humanly possible is probably the right thing to do as opposed to keep replacing it and therefore keeping it in circulation and keeping its life as long as possible is a good thing so having a first life in Bracknell you know and a second life in Namibia and possibly a third life somewhere else is you know in, in theory isn't such a bad thing however of course, you have got its ongoing, you know, polluting activity to, to, to contend with. So, again, that requires a little bit of thought. But as a principle for everyone to blit, to think about is make do and mend and getting the most out of things is not a bad start, right? Because our, one, of, one of the nasty habits of a rich country is you really do buy a lot of stuff, right? And people chew through lots of things. You know, no one needs 42 T-shirts, right? You know, we do have, we do, you know, and I'm as guilty as everybody else, right? We do have, um, so just buy good ones. Um you know that's that's the sort of thing that, that that's a real problem but one of those things is making stuff last as long as possible and we were chatting about just before we start, hit the record button we were talking about cars and um, i tend to be that person that buys a second-hand car and then 
keeps it going, keeps it going, keeps it going, keeps it going, keeps it going. Because I just think it's probably the right thing to do, really, is to get as much out of it as possible, maintain it properly, service it properly, all that kind of stuff. And then update it to the best thing I can afford to update it to. And I've just bought a Tesla because I, I was saying to Peter that I felt a bit dirty buying a liquid fuel car. And honestly, it's cost a lot of money. And it's actually, I wouldn't go quite as far as saying it's keeping me awake at night, but it is niggling in my mind that I've now entered a, a fairly long-term commitment to something that is, <laughs> that's definitely needing to keep. I now need to be busy to be able to pay for the thing. But yeah. but it felt like the, the, um, the right thing to do. But you're absolutely right, Peter. There are lots of complicated things in here um, and you get loads of tension. So the Euro uh, classifications has really come from really come from local air quality, isn't it? So that's about particular emissions and particularly with diesel with with stuff being blown out of the exhaust pipe and that kind of thing. And anyone that ever goes into Birmingham with a car or indeed London with a car know all about this, right? Because my other car is a 2000 and 13 vehicle it's diesel and i can't get into the middle of birmingham or middle of london without paying a ton of money um even though the thing does well yesterday i went back came back from taunton did about 57 to the gallon right so it's not an uneconomical yeah. but, no, but, it's, but it's sour pipe emissions are not to the right to the right standards so you've got a trade-off there but you know that it's not you know the co2 scenario there is not unreasonable um but tar pipe emissions not so great so you get this issue with sustainability, you get loads of trade-offs. And honestly, you just need to look at them and make your mind up. And you know, and if people chastise you for that, they can go away. Because if you've looked at it and did the best you can with the information you had in front of you, that's all anyone can ask, right? I mean, that's all anyone can ask. Not thinking about it isn't great, but actually thinking about it, you know, I'm going, I'm going to do this because based on my values as a human or our business and what I know, I'm going to do this. And that's fine, you know, having the, you don't need to be, world leading expert in this stuff you just need to stop and think a little bit really and whether it's a a, a brand new or second hand volvo tractor unit or a t-shirt you know the same sort of thoughts kind of apply really it's like you know where does this stuff come from what am i going to do with it how long is it going to last how, what can i afford what can i not afford it's just putting um it's just putting the um putting the thought into it really yeah, okay, okay. And I think, I guess, I think the answer to this question isn't one that I prepped you for, but I think you'll be able to answer it really well. And potentially it'll be really meaningful to the listeners. So we have a scenario, Watkins Foolage Limited, okay? Watkins Foolage Limited have, uh, have taken up running, I don't know, they've got 50 HGVs, units and trailers that are doing sort of regular work up and down uh, the country. Um, and you, you, obviously have the knowledge that you have as, as a sustainability professional. What are the things that you would be looking at in your business to reduce or maintain sustainability? Because I, I I'm conscious of using reduce now. Having listened to you, it is about this trade-off, obviously. It's not necessarily just about reduction, but it's also about um, sort of what, 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 what it is that we're doing. So what is it that you would do to improve the sustainability in that, in that haulage business? Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. Flagship Partners help their clients become safer, greener and greater through a range of consultancy and training services. We offer audits through to risk assessments, contracts through to support with managing your culture, all the way from mandatory training through to management training as well. So if you need any support, please do get in touch with Flagship Partners today. So, so I think, um, well, number one is to to uh, think about 
keeping the business going and growing it really because employing people and paying tax on that kind of stuff is very handy right so let's have that as the core piece um i think in the world of haulage i think my understanding being uh, who i am and just having a look around the, the ultimate sin is an empty lorry so driving air around whether it's all air because it's completely empty or half empty is something that needs to be thought about and and it's interesting right so when i worked in and i can never get this going but when i when i worked in rock breaking back in the agri days of course the firms have their own haulage either their own or tied one way or the other but you do get an awful lot of trucks driving past each other empty and you just think this can't be right this can't be right there's got to be a better way of optimizing this somehow um where you where, where it's multi-nodal and of course the haulage sector are quite good at this because you've got a truck and you've got lots of customers so you've got half a chance of uh, of doing that but obviously minimizing emptiness is a good thing even even if you have even if you charge your customer to drive the empty lorry back the other way it's still worth putting the effort in but the good news about that is that should be economically incentivized because it's got to be better for anybody to have a full truck you're being paid to move than an empty one right so there's a nice union there between money and and doing the right thing so i think i think that's the that's that's the no-brainer and, and where the proper effort um proper effort needs to go i think after that really you're into um using whatever you got in the most efficient way you possibly can so just basic stuff don't let it sit there idling unless it's powering a refrigeration unit or something like that you know don't thrash the thing to death drive at the most economical speed and obviously as a car driver i'd go do you really need to overtake that one in front of you that's doing a third of a mile an hour <laughs> less than you are <laughs> That probably that will attract a few comments from audience, I'm sure. Um, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah. so, the, so, the old drives, that's an emotive subject, <laughs> isn't it? It was for me yesterday and the day before, and every day I get on the road. Um, so, so, so there's a whole efficiency piece around that, and and and, and some sectors have done really well this because they put people through driver efficiency training or that kind of stuff. But it's got to be worth doing, and it benefits you because you're buying a load of fuel, right? So why wouldn't you want to be efficient? And people generally do this. And then I think, quite honestly, it's about having the being brave and trying to try some new technology and it is expensive so of course you've basically you've got i suppose today you've got fuel switching so you see organizations switching across to biofuels and in particular the hydrogenated vegetable oil a version of which i think has been used by mcdonald's for a really long time isn't it it's sort of been allegedly burning its chip fat now i've not really gone into the detail of how much of that happens i don't know either way so um nice marketing I, tool it's a nice marketing tool isn't it i don't know i don't know how well it's an it's I can't believe for a minute it's not true because, well, interestingly, the government in the UK in particular is now getting very, very keen on the uh, quality of green campaigns to make sure that organisations aren't lying to people because as, the, as consumers are becoming particularly motivated by greener things, they want to believe what they're reading. So it wasn't that long ago when the government thought that about half of all claims were just sort of baloney, really, it's a bit sad. So we're not making statements either way on what, what McDonald's have done or not done, but fuel switching to up to um, let's call it bio and organic fuels is a way of reducing emissions. It's also a way of driving your costs up and it's also a way of exposing yourself to lots of other things. So, for example, in HVO, you have to be careful about what it's made from because if it's all made of palm oil. Palm oil has got its own issues. So knocking down rainforests and building acres and acres and acres and acres, and acres of palm um 
is not that wise from a uh, biodiversity perspective, right? It has lots of its own issues. So sometimes what looks like a good thing isn't a good thing. And that's why you need to go asking a load of questions. Well, okay, I'll use that bio-derived fuel, but what what is that bio bit? Am I displacing precious habitats? Am I displacing food crops? Because, of course, we only have one planet. We've only got so many fields, and we talked about it half an hour ago. Eating is quite important. So we do we want to remove food and add in fuel on the land? It's a bit difficult. But it is possible to switch to a biofuel. It is also possible to use an additive to improve the combustion of that. And there's a few of those around to try and close the gap between the cost between the two. So there's that piece. So that's an easy, that's a relatively easy technology to go after. And then and then it gets more difficult, doesn't it? Because I think at the moment there are not many electric trucks. Um, I've noticed certainly the heavy side have started getting into it. I think um, Tarmac, I believe it is, and apologies if it isn't for those who own this, have got some electric truck mixers. Um, good for them. The concrete mixers, you know, so um, you've, got, you've got propulsion and agitation of concrete there that's powered electrically. Obviously, we know our mate Elon Musk is going to come up with a funny shaped thing that looks quite interesting at some point. But I, but I do think, it, <laughs> I do think it will take, or there will be new entrants into that space because I've noticed that the both in cars and trucks, both the you know the, the classic producers of these units aren't migrating that quickly, and and because I think the need will will be more aggressive than the solutions. You know, your Googles and all the you know, and some of the mega Chinese firms like your Ten Cents, which is similar to Google, that have got a decent level of liquidity, can enter this space because they're not they're not dragging all the historic baggage with them about how it used to be. They don't sort of tell themselves, well, it has to be like this because they don't know anything about it. They're like, well, we've got to drag fifty tons from A to B. How are we going to do it using a battery like this? Those sort of organisations start filling space, and honestly, I think. Your medium-sized haulage firms, at least, and and the smaller ones that are, you know, quite entrepreneurial and quite successful, I need to start treading these boards a little bit. Really, maybe share a truck with another firm, right? You know, experiment with stuff because sitting on your hands is not going to move your business forward because you get so far with, you know, getting the most out of your trucks. You'll get so far with not being empty. You'll get so far with fuel switching. But ultimately, there will need to be a technological shift. And I think you've got, like I said, I think batteries is an obvious path for some and then probably probably some form of hydrogen i would have thought but that's quite a tricky beast but sitting on your hands won't help not engaging won't help and it will involve taking some risks really um it's probably where i would go but but the early one the easy ones are i say the easy ones are not even easy are they but the simple ones that's a better phrase the simple ones are avoiding empty trucks maximum efficiency potentially fuel switching across to a biofuel if you can satisfy yourself you're not causing a ton of other problems down uh downstream and back to the thing about opportunities i think you know i think the gag here is to try and win business off the back of doing this stuff so if you take uk co2 emissions 25 percent, the biggest lump on the pie chart is from transport but I think it, I think, I know, 80 85% of that nearly, certainly 80% of that is cars. Um, so you look at it on a mileage basis, of all miles driven, only 5% is driven by the haulage industry, but it's about 16% of the emissions. But if you ball that up then, so it's 16% of 25%, right? So actually in total, it's actually quite small on the chart. Still lots and lots and lots of tons. Um, so I think that, yeah, I mean, it, it really is. Yeah, I mean, it really is about trying to look at the 
looking at the basic practicalities, what you need to do first, and then and then looking at how brave you want to be when you want to walk into in, in, into the into the new technology space. Um, but it's very easy. To, it, it's very easy to look at it and go, well, look at the UK emissions. We're a tiny, tiny bit. But if you're a company, so if you're like Aldi or or any or Amazon or something like that, you know, because you're humping a lot of stuff around. If you look at forget, so on the UK emissions chart, here's haulage, little tiny bit. If you look at a supermarket. The road haulage emissions relative to all its emissions is probably a really big piece of its pie chart, right? So those commercial businesses thinking, oh, Christ, I've got to do a bit of net zero here. Where do I start? I know where I'll start. I'll start at the fat end of the stick. What's at the fat end of my stick? Haulage. So you'll start to see more pressure coming on haulage firms to go, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What can you offer me? But equally, the other way around, you can go, well, I see you are organization heading in this direction. I've just purchased a load of these things. I can reduce your CO2 by X. Can we do a deal, please? So I'd very much like to look at this That's as where a, the smart money is, isn't it? That's where the smart money is. Well, I don't, look, it is, you know, it is not as simple as I've got a load of new trucks that are better than air trucks. Can I have the work? Yes, you can. Here it is. We all know it's more difficult than that. But yeah, to be in the fight, you've got to have a credible story. And I'd like to think in the short term before this is all normalized, there are opportunities available for those that have got the, the the confidence to give something a go. And there is work to be won by being greener than the other person. And and we know that's true, because if you look at the procurement rules that are in place in organisations and we read them, it is trying to select things in the supply chain that are lower carbon and more circular and all this kind of stuff. So we know this because we can read it. We see it in the, in the press. I mean, in 2008, when I was at AI, you know, we managed to win the concrete and aggregate supply to the London 2012 Olympics because the bar was set really high on sustainability in terms of recycled content and carbon measurements and all this sort of stuff. So this is real. This does happen, and it happens more every day. More organisations are making more zero carbon commitments. More of them are trying to buy better things in the supply chain. More of them are exposed to really big CO2 emissions from their incoming um, deliveries and then their outgoing deliveries to customers. So I think there's, you know, there's there's opportunity there. It's not easy. It's not given. But you're not going to get it if you don't have a story and you haven't made any commitments and you just got to look at your customer base and look at what's available to you and what you can reach and go, what's the business case to me to give this a crack of the whip? And I think, you know, as every day goes past, I think it strengthens and just and ultimately, consumers are starting to pull it through. I mean, it's interesting how the behaviour is changing, actually. So given all the bloody nightmares that are going on in the world, if you look at fashion, the whole second-hand clothes thing is just going absolutely bananas at the moment. You know, in, 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 in a minute ago, it was so we've gone from how much fast fashion can I consume through to where can I get second-hand clothes, like, like this. Now, OK, it hasn't gone quite like that, but there's been quite a big shift in... In, in, in mentality so you know i, I think consumers are going to get be fussy and, and, and as the new generations come through you know they're still going to be struggling with fuel poverty and all the bits like that but i still think that the newer generations are going to not want to compromise on trying to not ruin the world because they you know they might make it better for themselves next month but it hasn't really sorted the journey out and, and it's what's really interesting about that today is when you look at the some of the rhetoric that's come out of this conservative leader prime minister replacement stuff and um and the tactics that have needed to be employed to win the popularity contest in the conservative party membership 
and then how you fit that into the general trends in society that might not be quite be the same. So that's going to be really interesting to see um, what short term things happen that potentially change the course of sort of long term um, commitments. But by and large, I think business and consumers over time are getting more motivated by doing better with their pound. And I do think that will present, and it does present, opportunities for the haulage industry and, and general supply industry to try to engage with that in a positive way. And that's the whole point about trying to avoid this reductionist agenda. Can't do this, can't do that, can't drive that far, blah, blah, blah. Because it just, it, I find it, I think it's demotivating. I think it drives normal people away from the cause. And on that basis, it's really unhelpful. But if we can find a glimmer of commercial hopefulness in there, it gives you something positive to go at, right? And that's and that, for me, that's really important. So there you go. That's that was a slightly long-winded answer, but efficiency, mm-hmm. fuel switching, new vehicles, and then using that to win business from people that want to work with firms that are putting the effort in to make a difference. It's my shorter summary of the question you asked me. What feels like about an hour ago? <laughs> That's no, fine. I think you've done a fantastic. I knew I knew you'd answer it in a really good way because people are listening and they're thinking, well, what what does this mean to me? Really, you know, really, what does this mean to me? And there's a few things you said that really resonated with me. One of which, more recently, as you just mentioned about the the sustainability of the clothing options and things like that. You know, my daughter or my stepdaughter, she's 16, and she's not particularly. You know, she wants to go and study medicine and what have you, but she's not particularly engaged with what i'd say environmentalism or green movement or anything like that but she refuses to shop in the high street at all she shops in charity shops for clothes you know and she's fairly you know interested in her fashion and things like that but she realizes if she goes to the right charity shops and she looks carefully enough she can find really nice clothes cost effectively but also uh in a sustainable way so uh, yeah that's not uncommon and that's increasingly common now. I mean, and, and um, you know, as the generations come through, they just don't look at the world with the same lens as us. They no, can't. no, absolutely. The principles of how they were educated move quite a lot. The amount of information that is available to a person today compared to even 10 years ago is absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't take two minutes to look stuff up and you can look at it from four different sources and triangulate it really quickly to make sure it's not a lie. You know, that wasn't in place decades ago. So, you know, if you're 15, 16 years old today, you're just in a completely different headspace to, to, to where we were, you know, 30 years ago, or whatever, 40, 40. Um, and and that, that will make a massive difference because some, you know, these kids just don't tolerate stuff. You know, I'm just not bloody doing it. You know, you know, it's not even a discussion. So uh, and I think um, that will lead to a sort of a hockey stick shape change in, in, in some markets because like I said, the, the, new, the new pound will be going somewhere else, you know, or or people, they just go, well, I won't have one at all then. You know, people are, you know, they're not like killing themselves to have a thing. They go, well, if it's that bad, I just won't have one. You know, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, item of clothing or electronic goods. And or I think particularly particularly with like our generation, certainly I see my generation, um, and I think about, you know, Amazon, for example. If I can't get something tomorrow, why the fuck can't I get it tomorrow? You know, for free. Uh, on Amazon, and that's kind of what I've got used to. But you know, I have to you have to sense check that against. Do I really need that tomorrow? I've survived for the last thirty odd years without it. I'm just buying it now. This consumer no, is really right. need it. You know, you do. You are right. The 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 the, the most important conversation is the one with yourself most of the time. That's, 
so uh, yeah, you, you have to do a bit of sense checking. But you're right, we we get very conditioned to um, the speed of delivery, and when it's a day late, you just like you just despair, don't you? It's like, like the world's obviously falling apart. What the bloody hell's happened here? And um, yeah. it is really easy to buy stuff, and we do it. We all do it. I do. It, everyone does it. You know, you open Amazon, and go, I want one of those. One swipe, done. You know, twenty four yeah, hours later, front door. You know, that's not lacking. You know, that's not unimpressive, is it? Let's let's face it. But every swipe with a thumb like that could do good if people thought through what they were buying, the impact that it had, the questions they might want to ask. You know, with the same thumb action and not very much different pounds, you could make quite a big difference. And I think increasing this, you know, as your stepdaughter is a great example, we're seeing more of that. You know, I think the money and it, to get sustainability to work comes back to the same point again. We've got to use the flow of money to deliver it. What we cannot do is to say no and stop money going round. You cannot, you cannot expect the economy to 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 you know. No, let's put that another way around. We have to find a way to get the economy to deliver this stuff. You can't go ninety degrees to the money. It is just not going to work. People will dismiss you as some kind of you know socialist lunatic, and you ain't going to go anywhere. You've got to find a way to fit in with the flow of cash, divert the flow of cash into the right things, away from the wrong things. And of course, law will nudge this in the right direction. So without getting really boring, there will be more what we call producer responsibility type legislation. Now, you've seen and automotive has had this for years. So car manufacturers need to do recycling. Now, they may not get their actual car back, but they've got to put a ton of money into making sure that cars are are being uh, broken down into bits and the components are recycled plastics like this packaging has been like this for a while but increasingly if you make a thing governments of the world will expect you to take lifelong responsibility for that thing so either you need to get it back or you need to demonstrate you are doing the equivalent somewhere else so so there will be a there will definitely be a movement there and there will definitely be more tax on new stuff and there will definitely be more incentives on second-hand stuff how that plans out, I don't really know, but you, you don't have to be a wizard to be able to predict that kind of thing. Um, and I, and I don't, I, I do, I think some organisations are just not seeing this coming. I was talking to an organisation um, in a completely different sector, sells fairly high value goods yesterday, and um, I don't think they're seeing this coming. You know, and and you know, I'm thinking that in a minute someone's going to come along and go you see those things you're selling for lots of money you're going to have to find a way to show us you're recycling those or get in the back or something and if you're not putting your brain into that now that's going to be awfully expensive when you come to have to do it um but my argument to those guys is well maybe just maybe there's a commercial advantage of thinking about this now because all the rich people you're trying to sell your stuff to are the young people like your stepdaughter right so if you're a new money person and you're 30 years old and you've just made a billion and you want to buy an expensive thing, it wouldn't surprise me if you got quite choosy about what you were buying, right? So it's not just normal people that can make a big difference; rich people can as well. So even if you got, even if you're selling luxury goods, you should think through the possibilities that are in place for doing something a little bit different with a little bit more benefit. Because if you can make a business out of that, the world gets better and you still make money and life is good, right? So. Always hard to do, definitely worth the effort, because otherwise you're going to end up in part of the pack that's got a diminishing access to customers, aren't you? Because if you think if you think more and more customers are going to want this kind of stuff and you're not doing anything, you're electing to be in a smaller and smaller part of your of of, of, of the you know customer base, and then 
I don't think from a business strategy perspective that makes a lot of sense really to be honest. Absolutely. I think um no, really, really, really valuable stuff, Miles. I think um I've got one one last question. I've kind of diverted away from what we prepped, so I totally apologise. I think one last question, which is something that's resonating in me, but hopefully it's quite practical for listeners, and that is we were talking about moving away from this reductionist conversation to, you know, being sustainable. And I think it's a bit like something I'd ask, you know, but that I look at regularly from a safety point of view, which is how do we promote the dialogue? How do we promote the dialogue within our businesses to look at the stuff like what you've just said, to look at the stuff without coming across as a lefty type, you know, getting branded as the person who's, um, I don't even know what the right language is to use, but you know what I mean, but be discriminated against or, or passed off as that person who's looking to try and have a conversation that other people just aren't willing to have yet. How do we start to land those conversations in businesses that are sort of struggling or with people that may be struggling to listen? What, what, how do we approach that? Okay, I mean, well, I think it sort of comes back to a similar sort of thing. Well, for a start, there's nothing wrong with being left wing and having those views. That's absolutely no, good. no, no. I'm not, yeah, yeah, so so uh, I'm not, I'm not at all making. Um, making a case for uh, for anything in that space um it's just sometimes in the context of the traditional businesses that uh, sounds a bit odd so on that basis for me it does all come back to the business case so here i am selling a thing or a service i'm looking at a set of customers where over time the demands will change for whatever reason their own shareholders their own kids some kind of epiphany their customers are looking for many things and some of that will be more recycled content and lower carbon right for example we as a company supplying a thing need to get together and have a bit of a think about how we fit into that world and how fast we go after it and the more people you can involve in your organization in doing that the better so when i do my sustainability consulting in this space it is all about the commercial context and it is all about getting right down into the bottom of the organization to go look the world's moving a bit here and we probably ought to move with it or maybe even help it because not helping it leads to where we were saying a minute ago, fewer customers, more difficulty. So how do we work together to do better things, whether that's in the manual end of business differently or the thinking end of business differently? For me, it is about getting the participation, which, which is just good management practice. You know, this is not a sustainability thing. This is just good management practice, you know, high levels of engagement, high levels of participation. And of course, there's a well-trodden path in safety because safety works very badly when it's only led and it works very badly when it's only rules, but it works much better when there's a good old narrative about it because the company really at the bottom of the, the bottom of it all just doesn't want people to be hurt because who wants to hurt anybody? It's madness. Isn't it? And that's a much better way to, to, to try and tackle things, which, which is otherwise the danger is very similar in safety, isn't it? You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You've got to... You know, you know, you oh, you've worked for three quarters now. About the time you sat down, well, actually, if I did one more minute, I'd have finished the job. You know, there's there's lots of frustrations in around this stuff, and I don't completely go away. But good level of engagement, good level of dialogue, really important. And also, it's just bloody arrogant to think that just because you lead an organisation, you've got all the answers. Well, you don't, do you? I mean, it's just total bollocks, isn't it? So, so some of the best stuff comes from people that do the real work. You know, with that, with the hammers and the steering wheels and the fork trucks and the bags and all the stuff that goes on, the actual work that goes on. You know, when you when you do a thing every day, that's often quite manual. You know, generally speaking, you have some fairly reasonable ideas about what's wrong with it and what could be better, whether that's from a safety perspective or a sustainability perspective. And, and those are the 
And those are just the best conversations, really, you know, because people just go, what, what do we do it like this? It's mad. I come to work every day and I do this. And if we did that, that would be an awful lot better, wouldn't it? And you're like, you're right, it would. Um, and for me, Absolutely. that's more, that's more, you know, that's, that's, that's more refreshing. And, you know, from a hoardist perspective, you know, it's the best people to probably make it better are the people that drive the lorries. Why? Because they're driving a bloody day, right? You know, it's like they're driving along going, why is my truck empty? <laughs> it's not awesome. I've just driven halfway across the bloody country to deliver half a truckload. Now I'm driving back empty. Okay, made a few quid, but what a bloody waste of time that was. You know, I'm mildly facetious here, but it's it. You know, the ideas for this stuff come from anywhere, and 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 people, all of us, need to accept ideas from anywhere, and you know, and not be so arrogant that we have all the answers and we're great and important and get paid a load of money. Therefore, lead from the front. You know. Sure, you can leave from the front, but occasionally you've got to go and talk to everybody else as well. Think, so, um, so think... yeah, engagement, dialogue, commercial context, keeping customers, getting new customers, finding a way to find the positive journey and around sustainability is just vital, or it will just be a ball's ache, and and we won't get any progress. So you know, I'm really quite adamant about that type of stuff fantastic i think i was gonna say i totally resonate with that the only the only thing that like i would totally agree with you is that you know if you want to know where the wastage is speak to the people who are there at the sharp end because they know where the wastage is they look at it and go can't believe i'm wasting my time doing this i can't believe i'm wasting this resource or i'm wasting that or what have you because they see see it day in day out don't they so absolutely got to engage them yeah absolutely got to engage them um Miles, uh, finally, is, is there anything you'd prep that I've not managed to cover yet with any other questions? Is there anything that you want to add before I sort of close um, things off? I think we've, we, I mean, we've, um, I mean, you did ask me, I'll tell you what, you did ask me, um, you did ask me some questions about the um, the highways. Yes, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the net highways. zero goal for highways agency, uh, for high, national highways. I can't remember what they call themselves these days. National highways. National highways, I think, this week. Yeah. 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 New government might be something else next week. Oh, that's um, true. So, um, but good, really. I mean, so government has got two roles in it. So one is it does a load of laws and stuff, and the other one is it buys loads of things, right? So in a in a in a sustainability journey, the government's quite important, and across this spectrum, it has worked quite hard on buying things differently. Bigger topic for another day, but quite entertaining, quite interesting. The Net Zero Highways plan breaks into three things. It's got its own stuff, so its own offices, activities, and everything else, and it wants to make those zero by 2030. It's then got all the maintenance and building activities of roads, which it wants to make zero by 2040. And then there's the road use stuff, trucks and cars and things, where it wants to be net zero by 2050. And it's in that last category, it only really has influence, but obviously what it's trying to do is to make it easy for people. So more charging points and big ones as well, because if you're going to charge a truck, you need a big cable. So, you know, it's going to start looking at infrastructure uh, around that kind of stuff. You know, it's obviously trying to it will look to incentivize certain things. I think it will throw some money at um, trying to trying to move the agenda forward. But of course, from a usage perspective, it has very limited influence, which is why it's put it at the end of the queue, because it's a slower burn and a longer burn. And it only has a, a facilitative um, a facilitative role, facilitative, um, facilitative role. The big pressure for haulage will come from the customer base. You know, it'll be, you know, hello, I'm from Aldi. I want you to halve your CO2 emissions to be our supplier. That's the sort of stuff that will have the big impact on haulage firms, I think. Um, 
And then the idea is hopefully the government will help provide the infrastructure to make it work. There's no good buying. I mean, I already have it with, well, actually, one of the reasons I bought a Tesla was because I wanted to be confident I could charge the thing and then the supercharger network, which in the meantime, they seem to let everyone else use. But the whole point of that was I got access to it. So it's cost a lot of money, but I'm paying for peace of mind. I've got friends with electric cars that have queued up at charging points, turned up at broken charging points, struggled to find them, you know, and that undermines confidence. So we know an electric truck, generation one and two electric truck is going to be very expensive. If as well, the haulage firm is going to struggle to charge it, that is going to discourage the adoption, isn't it? Because a truck that isn't moving, isn't making any money. And of course it isn't moving when it's charging. And if you can't find a bloody charger, it really isn't moving. So, so that's where the HA, no, it's not the HA, it's what it used to be called. That's where National Highways, NH. NH. That's where those guys come in is to ensure they are facilitating an infrastructure that allows all the stuff that we just talked about because you're not going to gain any competitive advantage having an electric truck if you can't use your electric truck right and like i said and we i mean there's another hour of conversation about electricity because there are real infrastructure issues in this country around electricity i, I do a fair bit on renewables and um quite a lot of the renewable energy schemes solar and wind if you can get planning another conversation um you can't plug them in because the grid is so weak and so victorian that that you can't do it so actually you end you've got an infrastructure problem here so some so in lots of these areas to be honest please the desire runs quite a long way ahead of the actual practical ability to to do these things sometimes which is can be a bit disappointing so i think to be honest sir i think we might we've probably gone down the list i think um well, we've gone down that list and lots of other lists, haven't we? So um, hopefully, yeah, we have, yeah. Hopefully, we'll just, just some some interesting things for people, and um, you know, I think that just give it a go. You know, you don't have to like don't have to go. Well, if you speak to some people, well, look, the world is in trouble, and you could make an argument that says we've got to go absolutely mad and do it all in the morning, right? But equally, you've got to be practical. Doing nothing is not great. It's not great for your kids. It's not great for your planet, and it's slightly spineless and pathetic. Doing something would be good. It's just working out what that thing is. So you don't spend more money than you're earning and you're taking advantage of things in the marketplace that might be there for you to pick. Um, so I'd encourage people to try and do that because um, I think it is the right thing to do. Um, and I think there are rewards to be had. And the longer you leave it, the fewer rewards there will be and the more you're going to get kicked along by by the legislation. And that is not fun. And I know that, you know, and trade bodies spend, you know, huge amounts of time writing to government going, please don't do this to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the idea is to look over your shoulder see what's coming and move slightly ahead of it so you don't have to have the pain of being told what to do because none of us like being told what to do right sounds, that sounds like really sound business advice um, if, um, I really appreciate you coming on um, if people want to continue the sustainability conversation with you where, where should they come and find you yeah you can find me on LinkedIn um, that's an easy one to do um, you can i've got lots of email addresses but that's probably probably a good start or you can find me you know you can email me at um, mw at stuff for dot life you can find me there uh, but yeah linkedin is not 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 a bad place and uh, yeah I'm, I'm keen to um you know i'm, I'm keen to engage a business and I'm, I'm keen to engage with business who actually want to do things i'm not keen to engage a business that want to make up a load of rubbish to pretend they're doing things i just can't i, I just not interested in that sort of stuff um 
I'll help people that want to be helped. I won't help people that want to tell lies. So um, that is the filter. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, sounds like a good filter for anything, Miles, to be fair. Um, Miles, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, joining me. And thank you, people, for listening. If you do enjoy it, please do share it with your friends. And, uh, yeah, hopefully see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. See you soon. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.